Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest on Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Uh, tonight is a special episode for a lot of different reasons. First of all, we have many blasts from the past, first-time guests, old friends returning, people in foreign countries. I'll introduce everybody in a second, uh, but I want to start off by explaining our technocracy episode. Technocracy, of course, is the vertical on Quest on Media for our tech stories, tech-related stories. So we wanted to set aside some time on the podcast to have an editorial meeting and develop some story ideas to develop that vertical our old friend Tom Trapel had a pitch, and we kind of built the show around that. But if anyone hasn't seen it, go ahead and check out the Technocracy Vertical on the site. Obviously, uh, pitches are welcome. And we're going to start. Let me just introduce everybody, first of all. Sarah, our social media manager, has managed to come back on. She's been on a couple of episodes. We always love to have Sarah on here. Solano, I think, counts as a special guest because this is, one, his first time here. And two, his very presence makes this uh, another international edition of the show because he's calling in from Germany. Always very exciting. And Sundown Hazen, I think, counts as the furthest blast from the past, at least for me, because you've been a part of the New America Media family for many years, just through your involvement with Debug. And you and I first met, of course, you know, almost exactly 17 years ago uh, when we hosted a panel soon after September 11th. Tom, we know you. We love you. You were on one of the very first episodes, and this is kind of your brainchild, but it's very nice to welcome you back. And Eming, of course, as always, our venerable, patient producer, making everything work. So thanks to everybody for being here. I want to give you just a very brief intro, Tom, because I think you'll do a better job than I will giving an overview. You pitched at the very least a story about blockchain and Bitcoin. I know that this is a topic that, that gets covered over and over again, right? Like I've, every other podcast that feels like people trying to explain like what is blockchain, every other article is people trying to understand what this new potential form of currency is. I have a friend who's working on a documentary who's very well versed. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot and say like, you know, we need a 30 second explanation of what this is. I think people have a very rough introduction and we don't have to kind of get lost in the weeds, but just tell us a little bit about why it was interesting to you, why you thought it, it was worth developing a story for technocracy and kind of like what place blockchain holds right now in your mind, in your consciousness and why you brought it to the show. Oh, thanks Russell. Um, for me, just being in the Silicon Valley, I think one of the biggest trends in the network or internet business today is security. And one of the major term terms you're hearing about a lot is blockchain, and it's been catching a lot of buzz in you know the last year. You know, just in the over the course of the last year, Google search requests for the keyword blockchain have increased 250 percent. But there still is a lot of a question about really what blockchain is. So on a high level, you know, blockchain can be viewed. It's like a it's, it's a way it's a method of security. It's like it can be looked at almost like as an online ledger that can be updated in real time and is completely decentralized. So it's not just information is going into one cluster. It's going into like multiple servers and verified over a period of time. And, you know, the information can be updated and edited and it's stored in what's called blocks that cannot be changed at all. So it keeps like a record of everything going on. And one example of this would be like how Google uses Google Sheets and Google Docs. You know, basically you have the opportunity for, 
you know, different users to be working on the same document together, you know, without having to obstruct what they're doing, but also being able to record their changes. You're basically having like two different computers working together on the same solution. And that's sort of the best analogy to me. Like when I think of like how blockchain works, that's how it comes together. But the most fascinating way that the technology has been used is with cryptocurrency. And the fact that, you know, you have these computers that are completing these online ledgers of monetary transaction has led to like a whole new form of delivering goods and services, not only between like individuals, but between nations. And what this has also done that I found fascinating is that it's also brought in a way for individuals to kind of use their own technology, use their computers at home, use like multiple servers to kind of generate their own form, you know, their own business and their own money just by like having their computers run. And that was like one of the things I found fascinating with my good friend, Sonny here, Sundown here, that, you know, he created a Bitcoin mining machine with using the blockchain technology and sundown that was really really interesting what you were able to do and i'd like you to be able to share that with everyone today yeah sure i'm really novice first off when it comes to all this stuff but i'm doing it so you know i saw bitcoin as a billboard on lawrence expressway in sunnyvale like at least 10 years ago when it was still in the single digits and just thought okay great you know some internet scam well here we are 10 years later and at the end of last year you know it hit $27,000 per coin. The idea being that they're they're not making any more of these coins. Uh, So they hold value just like gold. Gold holds value. You can't print more gold out of the the Federal Reserve. And I'm going into this probably a little deeper than necessary. So I got into it last year. uh, Just it spiked my interest that I could participate in it for a couple of reasons. One is I like the idea of the decentralization of one of the most central forces in our lives, which is the economy. Uh, So the ability to take a transaction out of the hands of a third party, like a bank and just say, Hey, I can transact between somebody I'm interested in to buy a house, to buy a car, to buy a cup of coffee. That to me is interesting. I think that's very disruptive in itself. The way I I heard it explained to me very early on, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make sure I'm on the right track here because, uh, someone in fact it was the same person who was working on a documentary film about blockchain and cryptocurrency uh who said that he kind of saw a, the direction that the economy was going the global economy was going or the possibilities for the global economy when he was traveling in Africa and he saw that people often like used uh cell phone minutes right you have like minutes on your phone but you can transfer them among phones right so mm-hmm. like and, and people would use he said yeah people would use those to like get like to bum a cigarette off somebody, they like send them oh, like three yeah. minutes of their, you know, which <laughs> was kind of revolutionary for me. At least it helped me to understand as a complete outsider what it meant to have a decentralized banking system. It's a lot more like bartering. Now, obviously, there are like cell phone companies involved and they're not protected by the same levels of security. But that like small example tried to kind of helped me to understand the value or at least the potential for an economy that's not tied through central banks. I don't know if that's a helpful analogy, but at the time it was for me. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. And it also points to another trend, which ties into this, which is the taking away of physical currency. 
So even, you know, people use Venmo or Square Cash or Apple Cash and just you send cash to each other. It's still tied to a bank, though. Uh, so where the, the blockchain would come in is that it becomes your identity. So the other part, which I, I don't hear a lot of people talking about, uh, but it's something that's very interesting to me, is that the idea of the authentication part. So I imagine most of you who are listening have probably authenticated some website or service using their Facebook credentials and or Google credentials or some other email that you have, like Yahoo, becomes your identity and Facebook. Hotmail. I'm a big Hotmail guy. So that's really, I heard it was on fire. I heard it was on fire. You might want to get they're out coming, They're coming yeah. back. It's retro. Totally. I got my AOL account ready to go. Yeah. Uh, so but that's kind of like your, that's like your ID basically, right? You get pulled right. over, you know, they're like, oh, are you legit human? Like, yeah, you check out. Essentially that's your ID or online ID. Yes. What, and so that it's necessary. What Gmail wanted to be. Yeah. Right. And it's necessary. We, we have online lives. Uh, and so, but how do we authenticate it and who's in control of that? So we know Facebook has had a number of issues over the last year, especially uh, in regards to safety and privacy and security. And, and to think that they now basically are your online identity when you go deal with these other services and stores as you travel through the interweb, that's concerning to me, right? And I think that's one of the, the pieces of blockchain which hasn't been realized in the shadow of the cryptocurrency, which is that somehow we have to not only be able to transact, but authenticate that I am the actual person, even though you can't see me or feel me or touch me or smell me, but I am this person on the internet and I'm giving you this transaction because I have this actual amount of wealth right. or, value, or value, if you will. And so by doing that, the blockchain, what happens is I say, okay, Russell, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you five bucks because you, know, you bum me a cigarette, even though I stopped smoking. Uh, but it looks cool in my ears, so I'll have it anyways. And now what has to happen is that goes out on the internet, which is already a collection of computers and servers that are interconnected. And each of those number of computers have to solve this problem, some complex math problem that would take decades for a human to solve. And they, they do it in an instant and mostly off of a graphics card. Those are much more powerful processors than your regular CPU uh, for the nerds in the room or semi nerds. So that's so where I got started is I bought some graphics cards. <laughs> and is and that mining then? Is that So like that's just... mining. So yeah, okay. so I, I set up my set of miners. So I have one machine that I built and I bought a, a motherboard uh, that's built to hold 12 graphics cards for mining purposes. I built the cage around it. I got my pieces together, the processor. I got three graphics cards now. That was as much as I really need to invest in that particular project. Uh, and then... What I signed up for, though, is these problems are becoming so complex that one little computer is not going to produce me anything on my own. So you sign up for what's called a pool, a mining pool. And in my case, this one, I signed up for NiceHash. It's the easiest one to do. You, you basically set up your account. You download a little application. You fire it up. You say start. And so it starts to download various algorithms and currencies. It's not just Bitcoin. It's doing a lot of the littler ones, the lesser ones. And then it automatically, the service has an exchange where they then are selling your mining power to whoever company's buying it. And then they pay me, my miners, in Bitcoin. So slowly I'm racking up and that little, each graphics card pulls in a little over a dollar right now, about a dollar, maybe depends on the price of the actual Bitcoin. 
So that got going. That, that, that was exciting. Is mining now is mining the metaphor? You know, earlier you made a comparison to gold, right? Which is like a finite resource. There's only so much of it. You can't make more of it. Is that why you you know people are using the word mining essentially because you know this is a, a gold rush of sorts? You know, there's a way to access this finite material that's going to be that would seem to be the case. That would seem to be the case. I think the mining also would be considered the banker because in essence you're the one helping keep the ledger going. Uh, but I right. think because Bitcoin and the gold-based uh, currencies and that idea uh, is where the mining came from. So, yeah, so you get right. paid. So yeah. I, on, a, on a personal note, I'm curious. I know you have a family, you have kids. How, how big a part of this is your kind of like future planning for yourself and for your family? Are you thinking about like my retirement and college funds and all that kind of stuff? Does this figure into that? Do you have projections about how valuable valuable yeah. this might be? Or are you just thinking of it now as like, I'm interested in getting involved in this world and it might end up being something profitable or it might not? I got a lot going on, to tell you the truth, Russell. And then, uh, we don't have time <laughs> on this podcast and it's not all technology related, but uh, so where it fits in is it's, it's a hobby for sure. Uh, okay. right now I'm just hoping to, to get my investment back. Um, yeah. so in addition to that one, I went and bought one of those ASICs or it's a dedicated, it's a processor built for mining. Uh, and these things, you know, there's just this metal box and it's got three processors, powerful processors in it. It runs at like 200 degrees Fahrenheit. It's got this loud fan. So it's tucked away in my garage, uh, which helps keep my garage warm in the winter. Um, so at this point between those two, you know, I've almost got that one paid for. It's about 75% paid for at today's current prices. And then my other machine that I built was twice as much as that one. So, you know, I've got a year still, I'm about six months, I started for heavily in, in April, uh, right when we were moving and, you know, about a year and a half, I'll get my investment back. And then after that, it's all gravy. And, you know, I'm working on getting some solar on my house. So that'll even cut down my costs further. Because the electricity that goes into it is significant, and that's one of the concerns on the large scale is that right now the amount of Bitcoin mining that's going on is, is a, equal to some small countries as far as the electricity that's being used. Wow. Uh, well, I'm impressed, for one, and then I think I'm much more up to speed uh, conceptually. You know, metaphors are helpful for me and analogies are helpful for me, so it's, this is, helps me to get a further grasp on this. I, I think... You know, you use the example of Venmo and other services, you know, where we're exchanging value. It's still going through a central bank. But I've started to notice that, like, if you have certain relationships, if you're, like, going out to eat with, you know, the same people regularly, eventually you're just exchanging, like, through Venmo. And you're not ever, like, transferring that out to your bank. You're kind of just, like, trading Venmo value back and mm. forth, which... You know, I, it's not decentralized, of course, because it's still pulling that initial value out of a bank. Uh, but it occurred to me, I was like, well, if it never comes out of there, like what? I mean, if we really go down the rabbit hole, it's like, what's money? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want to have that whole conversation because I know that's all just made up anyway. And we can have enough people on here who want to end the Fed and talk about how they just print money. And that's why we have inflation. But in some ways, this seems like a solution to some of that because it really is a fixed resource it made me think of another aspect of this which is the immutability so meaning you I can't like change it. it you can't change it right once yeah. it's there you can't change it so you think of like google plus they just shut down so yeah. all all your whatever profile and your units on google plus is literally gone just deleted because the company decided for x y and z reasons that they're done 
But because this is decentralized on lots of computers, both in huge warehouses and lots of servers and little houses like mine in my garage, uh, they would have to shut down all of them for that record to go away. Yeah, that's impressive. It's fascinating. I'm in. Thank you to, to both of you for bringing this on because I think it's a good starting point for us. I do want to make sure we get a chance to talk to Silvano. I know, Silvano, that you didn't volunteer to come uh, on to our technocracy episode necessarily, so I don't want to like put you on blast. And I'm sorry that we shamed you by putting you on mute earlier, but I think it really is just because you're in a foreign country and your connection isn't as strong. I, I, I'm curious if any of this kind of resonates with you just because... Uh, similar to the example I used earlier, uh, economies in, in different countries are different, right? The way that people are using currency. And I know you're working with a lot of people. You've mentioned you work with a lot of people who are migrants, people who have come to Germany uh, from Syria and other parts of the Middle East and Africa. Are you encountering anything interesting like that about the economy, the way that people are using technology uh, or anything relevant? I, I imagine, um, I feel like you've mentioned things before but go ahead well the first thing that came to mind is that uh mostly people use cash in germany yeah i mean you're you're expected to have cash for everything much less so like, you're saying like the way that like every coffee shop you go to in the united states like you can just use your debit card like that's not what's going on in germany they're still using ab- hard you- yeah absolutely not like you're expected to have cash and you can you you, you should not expect to be able to use your card wherever you go you should expect right. cash, maybe like big supermarkets and gas stations. And that's about it for, for a credit card. And then yeah. also the Germans are actually kind of like, they're very, very wary of all of these new developments in media and technology, like especially social media, I would say like they're super like, or at least in my personal experience, like a lot of them don't have or very careful and wary with things like Facebook and Instagram or whatever, you know? So you can't just like meet a person at a bar and be like, oh, what's up? Like, I'll add you on Instagram. Yeah, well, you can't necessarily. No, I mean, like the way that you can expect it to be completely standard somewhere like California, New York, where basically wherever in the United States, like it's definitely not the case over here. No. Well, so, then how um, do you compare yourself to how well you're doing in your life versus other people? <laughs> like, where? Um, <laughs> yeah. how, how I mean, do you maintain you feeling inadequate all the time? How do you like stunt yeah. on people? You know, how do you like? You can't like pose with a bunch of euros in a photo. <laughs> you know? Well, I guess I guess that's the idea, right? Is that it's like it's yeah. a lot healthier. You know what I mean? That's. Uh, I, I think, think that's... it sounds like a real gift. I'm kind of in the middle of a little bit of a social media fast. And I think my, my mental health has improved vastly. So maybe maybe they're onto something. What do you think the where is it is it that people don't want to get on or it's just like not fully incorporated into the culture the way that it is in the US? I think it's a lot of things. The thing is that like several years ago, it was a lot more incorporated and then it became kind of unincorporated. Germans are really, really conscious of these kind of things. They're also like really, really ecologically minded. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. Like they're also like crazy about like recycling and separating all of their recycling and, and fucking and bio. Sorry, should, was that, a, am I supposed to not <laughs> use profanities? I mean, <laughs> you could say the F word if you want. I just don't know why you want to use it in reference to recycling. I feel like recycling is like a pretty, <laughs> pretty I cool just, thing to do. You know? it's, it's like, it was just like, an, it was just like a knee jerk reaction, dude. I don't know. It just, just came out. You know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, I mean, I don't know. I guess I haven't really figured it out yet. 
but I think it's more like a, it's more, yeah, it, it more leans just towards like a, like a logical decision and like what's, what's like, what's healthy for yourself and the environment and the world you live in. You know what I mean? Right. It's very, I mean, it's a good comparison between, you know, the German mindset and the American mindset, the German mindset might be, you know, like, oh, this thing isn't good for me, so I'm not going to do it. And That's exactly the right. Is, Give me some right. more. Give me some right. they're, they're all about following rules and shit. You know what I mean? Like it's it's actually kind of ridiculous. So you know, yeah, and we're we're fully immersed in instant gratification, which is fine. Yeah, you know? but I I am I'm surprised to hear that. I guess only because a lot of the times we think of you know the European Union and being like people in Europe being or at least uh, progressive societies, right? They're a step ahead of us. And it's a little, it feels like a little bit of a throwback. People aren't, you know, fully you know, incorporating social media into their lives. In some ways, I mean, you could say they're a step ahead or you could say that they're like allowing themselves to grow more slowly at a pace that maybe ensures that they're not misstepping as much. Right. Right. They're not also really, very un-American. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like they're not a step ahead. They just the grow. Right. Or the risks. Yeah. Grow, grow, yeah. grow. Bigger is better. Yeah, exactly. It's not about a step ahead. They're just like, in fact, they're, it's definitely more old world in a lot of ways. Like, like a washing machine isn't standard. I have to hang my clothes to dry no matter where I am. Like, like they're not a step ahead, dude. They're just like, they're just growing at a pace that works for them, you know? And it, and it ends like the things end up being a lot more reasonable. Like when a change does happen, it tends to make more sense. You know, now I know this isn't uh, necessarily a tech related question, but I have been one. I'm, I've been curious for a long time because I know that there's a lot going on politically in Germany. But what's what's it look like on the ground? You know, there's a lot of talk, like <laughs> rumblings about big change, you know, at least like American media saying like, oh, there's this backlash. You know, Angela Merkel and her coalition are in danger, partly because of their uh, open policy toward migrants that might backfire. But that's whatever. That's like American media. That's me just reading like editorial pages and, and whatever the New York Times. What's is anybody talking about that there? Is this a real issue uh, on the ground for you in your world and in your work life uh, in Germany? So, OK, so for me, I mean, I'm definitely not coming into contact with that very much. And I, yeah, I can't give you too much perspective on that, unfortunately. Most of what I do, I'm like, I'm usually just tucked away in some like big, dark production warehouse in some little village in the corner of Germany for like, you know, that, that produces for some big ex-Nazi company, you know, that like made Panthers or something like that back in the day. And now they just produce truck parts. Wow. Um, yeah, so I'm not, I'm, not in, <laughs> I'm not I'm not like I'm not really it's it's pretty bizarre. No, I mean, if anything, um, <laughs> if anything, honestly, I, well, you know, but, I say this all the time, but we used to do this when, you know, when I was, you know, covering like John Kerry's election in 2004. I was like, I'm going to get to the, the, you know, they send me out, find, find out the youth vote, you know, talk to the young people. And that was like a contrivance of media, you know, like a, a lot like it's a lot more realistic that people are either like tuned out or a lot more invested in their everyday lives, right? When people are thinking, you know, when you think about survival, they're thinking, I work in a factory in a hole in, the, in a corner of Germany, and, and maybe the people who are there are not the people who are a part of the national political conversation, or maybe the ones that should be, you know? No, There's probably some, but, some Marxism in there. But that being said, um, there is a little, there's definitely obviously talk about the immigration, because Germany has been taking in a bunch of immigrants. I mean... 
they've been doing that for a long time. But in recent years, they've been taking a lot, like an unusually large amount of immigrants. And, Including you? And it, well, actually, I mean, I'm you're a not European. A typical no, immigrant. no, no. Okay. I'm a European. <laughs> I'm a European citizen, so I don't count as an immigrant. I'm Italian, right? So I've just right. like. I just decided to like, you know, hop on over, but I don't, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's like a gray area. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was, but I'm, I'm technically, I'm technically already like a, not a citizen, but I have rights, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. I like that. So, I think that's in the constitution. <laughs> I have rights, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I'm going to say that the next time I'm getting arrested. I have rights, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> don't you know that? Yeah. The next time. The next time. Yeah, the next time. Yes. That's right. Sarah, I'm always time. preparing the script for the next time I get arrested. You got to be ready for that shit, man. It's true. You got to think on your yeah. feet. Um, yeah. I want to give uh, Silvano. I'd like to have you uh, back on another episode where we can kind of talk more in depth because I'm really interested in your life and just like German industry and how there's room for you to work there. Just this whole kind of adventure of yours i think is intriguing and i'm kind of i kind of want to mine your experience so hopefully now that we've figured out before we get out of here i want to give an opportunity to sarah uh i know we had a couple stories that went out in the email but sarah really quickly not to put you on the spot but i'm gonna put you on the spot uh since you are our social media manager i was curious whether you had anything that you feel like uh we should feature on uh, technocracy on our tech vertical. What are we missing out on? And she's in, she's also in tech too. Just FYI, I'm, I'm always learning to... things about you, Sarah. You're <laughs> so humble, nefarious. Yes, skill set. Yeah. Um, so yeah, please share. You're working in tech. You're a social media manager. Yeah, I am, um, and I have an art degree. I'm just a weirdo. I think it'd be really interesting. I work with a lot of clients who are international and there's different privacy laws that affect the way that we can distribute content across the U.S. And um, I'm actually having a challenging time with a German client piece of business right now where we do our standard America. I think you should buy this play. We can't even populate the emails with content. They have to all come straight from the individual that's referring the other person. So I think that's really interesting and how Americans are... Definitely... Does this have to do with the recent... I know that there was a law that was passed recently that recently that's affects... GDPR. I think it's European yeah. Union countries. Okay, yeah. All right. So is that what um, you're referring it's to? It's a little German stricter than that. So GDPR rolled oh, out okay. in August and that affected our, a lot of our um, English and Irish and like that kind of area clients. So we had. Can you tell us really quickly what GD what what GDPR is really quickly because I'm. Oh, not, not really. I just know could... the that it is a privacy law that doesn't allow us to. I'm going to butcher this. I don't really want to say what it is. All I know is that it's privacy laws that uh, change the way that you can communicate and the disclaimers that are associated with it. You know, I could talk yeah. about GDPR. I mean, it's impacted a lot of businesses, even in the United States. Mm -hmm. Even if you look at websites that you look at domestically, you'll see a pop-up window that says, will you please accept our cookies uh, in order for us to create a better user experience? And you see that on almost every website now because a lot of like the content that's being distributed even domestically is going to international. So they're covering themselves. By, ha by applying the GDPRs even in the United States. And it's almost like you're getting this tedious pop-up window saying, please let us like download your our content to your computer so that way we can con consistently spam you. And 
That's just like nice. one of the, they should that, phrase it that way. Yeah, right. Well, no, the, mostly you'll see it say like, in order to give you a better user experience, please download our cookies. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that like a lot of marketing techniques that are done for businesses to reach prospects involve acquiring a list of names like data.com, which I think is like a Salesforce subsidiary, you know, they're responsible. You, you go subscribe to data.com and they'll say, oh yeah, you're looking for businesses with, um, you know, emails that are in this like manufacturing vertical. Well, here you go. Now with GDPR, you can't right. use those names without their permission. So it's almost like right. if you're trying to find people to sell to, you really are between a rock and a hard place, especially in the European Union. Sarah, is it, you're saying this is what you're coming up against? It's like you're doing, you're yeah, so doing online marketing and there are new restrictions that didn't used to be there? Yeah, so there's a lot of new, very simple. It's like even affecting our product person to person. It's not actually really spamming so much as it's kind of spamming a little bit but it's uh basically saying hey russell i really liked this xyz product whether it's shoes software i tend to do a lot of apps and software and then because i shared with you you would either get a promotion or a discount or something in line with that uh, and it's to help grow the customer base organically through that referral right so that's what I do. But the interesting thing is we've had to add like little tiny features. So it's actually costing us a lot of money from the engineering perspective to implement opt-ins and things of that nature and developing new different ways of delivering content because of that. So it's, it's definitely interesting. And what's different is the American clients that don't have international pieces of business don't really care as much, but also Americans just opt into everything. I have not read a term of conditions. I am very, very happy to just make sure that my online identity is associated with my Apple ID, my Facebook ID, my Gmail, and I can log into everything on my phone without remembering a password. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I do the same thing. Like, I'm, I, I, for the most part, I'm aware of what Tom is saying, which is like when they say, like, hey, we want to give you a better experience. I know that they're just like using all of my data. But I still am just like, well, I don't know, you know, like, how do I know what I want if you don't tell me, Internet? <laughs> like, I'm like, OK, fine, whatever. I'll just click. Yes, yes, yes. Agree. agree. Yeah. And I think that's, so as you're saying, a big part of the problem. Yeah. So I think the fact that just general privacy is so different across the world and how Americans are so easy to buy into things like my mom won't click on anything unless I tell her to. And that's because, you know, she's English. So, like, they're just like, no, we don't give away our stuff for free. No. I'm like, just do it. It's easier. <laughs> well, it's also probably generational, right? Like, I yeah, feel like true. people, like, who are a little older just think, like, everything is a scam. Don't trust yeah. anything, you know, and there's, like, some kind of middle ground. Well, at least hopefully there's a middle ground. Maybe it's the older people are the only ones who are going to save themselves from all of this. Uh, not to be a doomsayer, but, you know. The other shoe may drop one day. Let me thank everybody for being here. This was great uh, for a lot of different reasons. Like I said, a lot of fresh faces and fresh voices, but, you know, old friends, Silvano and Sundown in the same room. Who knew? And Sarah and Silvano already knew each other. Who knew? I, in fact, I didn't even know, and this is a very quick shout out, um, but Sundown, I wasn't sure that you were uh, a debug person. I knew you came to that I must have, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm aware, but all of us should take a minute to acknowledge 
the fact that Debug has been in the news a lot lately because of Raj Jayadev, uh, the founder of Debug, who got a MacArthur Genius Grant. He's got a genius. Incredible. Wow. He is. And now it's official. Like we used to say that. Oh, like, yeah, hey, Raj. Knew it. But like, but like now it's official. Like now, like now he wow. has the title. I mean, that's something, you know, people used to point to for in, in turn, like Sandy Close. That was the first line in her bio was that she was a, you know, MacArthur genius grant. Even though they put always put genius in quotation marks. I feel like, come on, guys. Like, you know, you don't have to put it in quotation marks. But uh, a big shout out to Raj uh, for that, you know, finally being uh, acknowledged on that level for the work that he's been doing for a really long time. Very cool dude, as we can all attest to. Uh, I'm really happy for him. So thanks to everybody. Sarah, thanks for being here. Silvano, thanks for calling in from Germany. Sundown, it's great to see you. Please come to any future show. Everybody who's here for the first time or whatever, Sundown, we're going to put you on the email. So feel free to come back anytime you like. It's great to have you here. Tom, thanks for bringing up this topic. And Yiming, as always, thanks for getting us here and making it happen and making it sound good. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks to our listeners. Uh, Until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest On Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.